Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spooktastic Minute, the show where we talk about Wes Anderson's fantastic Mr. Fox one minute at a time. That's right. It's still October, so we're still Spooktastic Minute. My name is Tyler Boudreau. And I am Condra Boudreau. And we're the amateur nerds here to talk about Minute 42 of Fantastic Mr. Fox, which begins with Fox snapping and ends with Fox pointing. Condra, we don't have any special guests this week, but it's a nice canon episode. What's 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 your thoughts? Minute 42. <laughs> There's some iconic lines in this minute. There's some iconic hand gestures in this minute. It is also minute 42, my favorite number. So I feel like it's a pro- the funniest number. It's I feel like it's appropriate that one of my favorite lines from this movie is in this minute because it is minute 42. But I'll start with we have another cuss in this minute. Or do you want to... That we do. How, how, how chronological do you want to go this minute? Or do you want to kind of jump over? Go ahead. It? Say the cuss. All right. Say the cuss. So the cuss, we are at cuss number 24. Mr. Fox says this to Felicity when she questions if help is on the way because Mr. Fox has a plan all of a sudden. And um, mm-hmm. he says he sure as cuss hopes help is on the way to the Flint mine as he tells Felicity to go tell them that help is on the way so we begin with fox still kind of scrambling at the wall and then he kind of snaps like he's like he's ready with his idea and what's interesting is everyone's kind of entranced they're all ready for fox to be the quote-unquote fantastic mr fox that they all know he is even if they're mad at him it's kind of his turn to be the hero which is what's so compelling about mr fox as a character is like even though he does bad things at the end of the day He's still the guy that you go to. He is Cincinnatus in a, in a, his own kind of way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, to me, it does because I'm also a classicist. But maybe for our non-classic nerds out there, classical nerds out there, um, that wouldn't make sense. Well, we can explain it real quick. Sure. Go ahead. There's something that kind of applies. Um, so in ancient Rome, kind of in the period, it was like late king, early republic? Yeah. Early republic. Early republic because he was kind of one of the first non-dictators so cincinnatus uh they so early republic ancient rome had a rule that in a time of desperation in a time of war they could elect a dictator so to speak uh although that that word roughly translates more to general and leader than the modern connotation who could take over the take over the city and kind of run things and the story goes that cincinnatus was a like not a simple farmer because he was very smart but like a farmer who just who just wanted to do his work but when the time came they elected him this dictator position and he was in charge and he got them through the hard time got them through the war and then when it all was said and done he stepped down and resumed being a farmer and this was also a very popular idea during the American Revolution uh, where they kind of formed the order of the Cincinnati and they the idea was that the farmers would contribute to the revolution and then all go back to being farmers. Very George Washington idea. Well, Washington directly quotes and is idealized to be uh, Cincinnatus, especially when he steps down after his second term. He's like, I'm just going back to my my farm life, my land. And even before um, stepping down from being a ge- the general of the army um, and didn't want to get back involved into politics, he really was one of those figures that did not want to participate in in the political life and really like respected his boundaries of power. And the irony, of course, being somewhat in the fact that Alexander Hamilton didn't want George Washington to step down. He wanted him to stay in power. Mm-hmm. So 
But yeah, Fox kind of grasps onto this role, even though Badger's mad at him. Is there? He has an idea, and they're all waiting on the edge of their seats for him to say the idea. One of my favorite lines is Kylie saying, "Yeah, just say the idea." He's so excited, and it's so precious. I love Kylie's little face. And also, speaking of details, and how I was alluding to a lot of little details in this minute, you can still see in Beaver's son's right around the fur around his eyes is all still matted wet from his tears and i'm just like poor beaver yeah i saw that too and then um christopherson holding his shoes he hasn't put them back on yet like this has all happened very quickly yeah we cut this the kind of the side angle shot of fox and like everyone else is so emblematic of like he's the leader of this group it's it's really fascinating we're to really kick into the fun stuff in this movie, as you'll see in the upcoming minutes. Yeah, we're, we're I'm a little zazzed about the next couple of minutes. Um, but but it, this this minute this mi- less less fun, but an emotional scene. It's exciting. Too. There's a lot of yeah. excitement and like it's the the couple breaths before like someone goes out to like perform or like up to bat. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like perfect like. I remember, like, when I used to, like, before I would go on the mound, when I would pitch, I'd, like, take those few excited breaths and, like, kind of amp myself up. It's those amp-up moments before the before the yeah, fun. It's, it's it's not quite the calm before the storm, but it's... Go ahead. It's like when the basketball players are all jumping around going, woof, woof, woof. It's just, like, it's exciting. Oh, I'm thinking more it's, like, it's... I can't recall a particular scene from the Iliad, but it seems very Iliadic where you would have a scene like just before Achilles goes into battle, but he's like con- silently contemplating the, the the meaning of life before he goes out and risks death. You're in a very classical mood today, Tyler. I am, I'm a big Iliad fan. I know you are. Can I, I'm going to tangent already. Um, I mean, Kylie is Patrickless. <laughs> oh, I don't mean... No. That's a, that's a title for you. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to go completely tangential. And I was watching a new TV or newer TV show this week uh, called The Dragon Prince on Netflix. And the realm of the kingdom is called Catullus. And the whole time it was confusing <laughs> the heck out of me because I'm like, Obviously, it's in the name. The human kingdom is the bad kingdom because why would anyone want to be named after Catullus? And just like in the back of well, my, none of them, none of them know how to use napkins in this kingdom. Yeah, mm, deep cut there, Tyler. <laughs> deep cut. <laughs> For those listening at home, there's a famous Catullus poem. Catullus being an ancient Latin writer poet. There's an ancient, there's a Catullus poem where he complains about how people use their napkins. All right. Well. Should we do it? Should we do Troy minute? We should do Troy minute. I think I would gouge my own eyes out, Tyler, if we did Troy minute. <laughs> Not during the Brad Pitt scenes, you wouldn't. Yeah, I would. I really don't like Troy. I mean, I don't like. I like it more than I like Alexander. But you know, Alexander's a really low bar. <laughs> uh, yeah, the I, the Netflix show Troy: Fall of a City is supposed to be really good, though. So I'll write that one down too. You know what would be an interesting one to do? Oh, what's it called? I just keep thinking Attack on Titan, but that's not what it's called. Um, Titan. The one with the claymation skeletons. Uh, Like Jason and the Argonauts? No. Titan, Titan, Titan. It'll come. Spy Kids 2. No. Although that would be really fun (laughs) to do. (laughs) Spy Kids 2 next. Do you think God stays up in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he's created? 
yes, Steve Buscemi. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a line for the listeners at home. That's a line from Spy Kids 2. Ooh, we are nine minutes in and we have v- talked very little about this film. Hey, we've been talking a lot about this film the last couple times because we've had guests. We've had to be good. Hey, guests can go on tangents. I would lo- I would have loved to have a guest here for these tangents. All right. So we have Kylie all excited. And then Mr. Fox goes and talks to Felicity. And then Felicity goes and talks to Ash. And this is like emotional moment of the movie. I love this mm-hmm. little moment. It's short. It's like 20 seconds. It's so good, though. Mrs. Fox goes up to Ash, cleans the mud off of his face because he hasn't done that yet. And then just talks to Ash about him being different and makes the greatest dig ever at Mr. Fox. We thought all of her zany one-liners before were great. No, this is the best line she has in the whole movie. So yeah, she says to Kylie, not to Kylie, to Ash, (laughs) I know what it's like to feel, and she does the hand motion, different. And then Ash says, I'm not different. And she says, we all are, especially him pointing at Mr. Fox. And it's one of those things where drama is so much heightened by having laughter, where like having the range of emotions is more important than having the the depth of the emotions so to speak that that idea of difference and ash not wanting to accept that it's so telling of that age that he's in that early teen years and just like trying to find yourself and who you are and how you relate to Mm -hmm. everyone else and celebrating differences and i think that's something this film does in such a beautiful, simplistic way. It just like recognizes that everyone's different and it is truly fantastic that everyone's different and it's really it's really heartwarming yeah. and very good. Yeah, Meryl Streep gets to deliver the line, but there's something kind of fantastic about that, isn't there? And that's I don't know, that's the standout line in the movie it, kind it of. It is. It's my favorite line in the movie, and that's like what I was alluding to at the beginning of our, our, our little chat here. It's just there is something fantastic about that, and it's so simple. And it plays out in the movie pretty well. It's not just something they give lip service to. I think it does play out. Mm-hmm. Not only for Ash's character, but later on we'll have different animals doing lots of different things, and it's fun. And Mr. Fox even realizing what that means, too. And I think that's super powerful, mm-hmm. that Mr. Fox is a witness in this moment, and he's not contributing to the conversation. But he's in this emotional mm-hmm. moment, and he's trying to be more a part of Ash's life. And take to heart what felicity is saying and he also learns from it too and i think this it's a learning moment for more than just ash and there's something special about the uh the close-ups of felicity's and ash's faces during this scene where you can really i mean it's it's like we had actors faces on screen we can see ash like kind of squinting and kind of rejecting the idea that he's different and we can see the love coming out of Felicity's face. I think it's it's there. Something else that I picked up in watching the the, the close up of Ash, his eyes are identical. So, especially coming off of sorry, this is all over the place. Uh, coming off of the one on one back and forth face shots of Mr. Fox and Felicity, and then them juxtaposing that with uh, Felicity and Ash. Ash's eyes are identical identical to mr fox's and it really makes like this tie connection that is lacking between mr fox and ash that he's trying to take on christopherson who's this blue eye like the blue eyes match felicity more it's this really interesting like 
comparison to similarity and just like ash in that moment looks so much like his father it's really incredible that there's the style of them their fur coloring their patching like their eyes it's just it's so beautiful how similar they are and there's a juxtaposition of shots there and parallels between them yeah the symbology that we get in the visuals is so great and it's something that you can do in not animation but it's something that kind of comes out so much better in animation. And also, I think the little mud that was left on Ash's face, at, like the first time I watched the minute through, like I was like, oh, she missed a spot. And then like I saw that she like pulled it away and I was like, oh, that last little moment of touch. And like, because who knows yeah. what they're going off to right now. Mr. Fox hasn't said the plan yet. For those that haven't seen the movie maybe are like oh shoot are these folks going off like are they at risk of death right now because who knows what these farmers mm-hmm. are up to and it's this very like emotional moment without having like the intense gravitas and weight of like a I'll never let go jack kind of moment yeah and we even have ash kind of undercut it being like no nah, i'd rather be an athlete mm-hmm. it's like and we get a little laugh line and a pause but it's still like no, it hits you. Mm-hmm. And then we go on to Mr. Fox turns back to his colleagues and peers and compadres squad. <laughs> Fox squad. Um, uh, and then he says, this time we're going to have to dig in a very special direction. And that's kind of where we cut off. Yeah. But and this is, might just be me. There's some like more sexism going on or like. Yeah, no, there definitely is where he, like, sends the only woman there, like, off to tend to the other women. And then it's like, okay, dudes, let's go do this dude thing. And I definitely believe, like, Felicity is probably a better digger than, like, Beaver. Like, Weasel, maybe? I'm, like, trying to think. Weasels burrow, but, like... They're all rodents. Yeah, they all dig to some extent. But, like, maybe the kids? Like... Yeah, why are you taking the kids along? That's definitely a good point. Especially because later Fox definitely isolates the kids. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. just like Badger was saying it first and then now Mr. Fox. And I'm like, is this of the time? I'm, I've am i got problems with this because Felicity like runs the show in real. Yeah, it's easy to dismiss it. But it's like it's the time or something like that. But it's also kind of something that happens in a lot of Wes Anderson movies where it's kind of like, the women are kind of tokenized or isolated. And even if they're like the emotional center of the film, they're, they still kind of are like still kind of left out to dry. I'm thinking particularly of Saoirse Ronan's character in Grand Budapest Hotel, where it's like, yeah, she was the the sweetheart of Zero. And she's kind of the reason he's telling the story. But at the end of the day, like in terms of screen time and like presence in the film, it's not really much. Yeah, I just, and this is me, like, not, I think maybe that's why I'm not a super Wes Anderson person. It's just, like, I've been noticing lately the movies I've been watching, like, when there's not a lot of female presence on the screen or if it's in a very degrading, and I've been watching, like, a lot of old movies, too, because I'm, like, feeling some lacking in my cinematography right now. I get really frustrated. Like, I was watching The Searchers last night, and I was, like, ridiculously. But The Searchers is so good. It's good, but I was also, like, this movie's dumb i don't like it i just don't like westerns and i think that's part of it but like i thought oh, um no i love the searchers i watched rebel without a cause the other day that movie was brilliant i loved that one i thought like i thought that movie was really good but i really i it's like i respect the searchers for what it is and like i recognize its impact on cinema like cinematic history i'll 
but I didn't like it all that much. I'll thank you to unhand my fiancé. <laughs> I love the guy that plays the guitar. He's so funny. Yeah. I just, like, there were and good characters the, and, and stuff. The woman that... Go ahead. Sorry, the woman that Paul, the Polly ends up marrying, she's, I mean, she's tokenized, sure, but she's a strong character. I really like her. She's got the, like, the jeans, and she, like, does she yell at him for not wanting to go with John Wayne? She's like, no, you need to go. No. Or she like, no, stay. No, I don't she's remember. Constant, she wants him to stay. She's constantly she? like, stay with me, stay with me. And then she gets mad. And I'm like, girl, what do you what do you want then? Kind of thing. But she does play that trick on him where she like pretends, she pretends to leave. And then he like, he's like taking a bath. I don't know. It's a fun scene. The Searchers is really good. And there's, the thing with Searchers is that it's easy to write it off as like a traditional Western and it's like, oh, the women are tokenized and like the Native Americans are treated only as villains. But you act when you actually watch the movie, it's treated with so much nuance that I think there that's what makes the searchers stay so significant where a lot of Westerns kind of have gone off to the wayside. No, and I completely agree with that. And like, don't get I did enjoy it. I just it's not. For me, it's not my kind of movie. Oh yeah, I and yeah, and I and I don't mean to be telling you you're wrong. I was just you brought up a movie I watched in a film class and therefore put a lot of time into thinking about, and therefore have strong opinions on. We talk a lot about it in my film classes too because it is one of those iconic like baseline films that a lot of other movie makers pay like homage to, homage, yeah. homage to in um even star wars kind of thing so that's it's Mm -hmm. it's really significant in that regards and i respect that um i just uh, yeah it's it's not my kind of movie it's like an anti-hero narrative too which is like very popular yeah the one of my favorite speaking of like leaving women out to dry (laughs) uh the film ford apache is an earlier john wayne film and it ends with a scene of like all all the men going out to battle and the the fi- but the final shot isn't of the men riding away, but it's of the women looking into the distance. Be like, oh, man, there go our men. But how powerful that is. And Sam Raimi references it at the end of Spider-Man 2. We, the, the film doesn't end with Spider-Man swinging away. It ends with Mary Jane looking out the window at him going away. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I like Spider-Man 2. But <laughs> I mean, it, you like Spider-Man 2 for more it, than that reason. Uh, yeah, but... I mean, and there's something to be said, like, Wes Anderson is somewhat able to pull that off in some of his movies where it's like, he's able to balance it with, like, giving that extra appreciation to the women, despite them being tokenized and so few in the film. I feel like Isle of Dogs might might do that better than some of his other ones. Oh, Isle of Dogs is terrible for women. There's just the one Well, there's the one female dog, and then there's the boss foreign exchange student. Oh, yeah, but... But she also has a problem of just like really the one like white, white girl, girl in yeah. Japan is the one that solves the the problem. Yeah. But the the, the Yoko Ono character in Isle of Dogs is good though. Yeah. Moonrise Kingdom has a strong female presence. The the little girl's very good in it. Rushmore I like even though the, it's more about Max and Bill Murray than it is about Rosemary the teacher. Yeah. That one's a lot more, I feel like, Fellowship of the Ringsy in that it's just like it. Rushmore? Yeah, it just happens to have one female character in it and like she is significant to the plot, but also like. No, no, because Margaret Chang is the boss of Rushmore. Okay, all right. I haven't seen all Rushmore right. in a while. All yeah. right, do we want. Do you have anything else for a minute, whatever minute we're recording, minute 42? <laughs> no, I. 
uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm I'm glad we spend a little bit of time talking about female representation in film. Uh, podcast recommendation for people that that want to learn more about this. Uh, there's a podcast called the Bechdel Cast, which is a humorous take on the Bechdel test. I think it's Jamie Loftus and Caitlin Durante are the hosts, and they are hilarious comedians and movie critics in their own regard. And it's just a great take on women in film. And if if that's something that interests you and kind of like how all of the major films in our history are kind of so poorly treating women, even still all the major auteurs that we like to recognize, Wes Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, the Coen brothers to an extent, although Marge and Fargo is amazing. I know, um, there's something there. They're also, Max Fun just put out, or... Oh, God, what's it called? Max Fun has a Switchblade Sisters. Yeah, Switchblade Sisters is a podcast about women creating film. Cor- correct. And that was the, uh, um, like, the other side of it is women creating film, which is not something super talked about either. And something Wes Anderson should really get on board with. Yeah, but that is something. Uh, so Switchblade Sisters is about women making genre films. So sci-fi, mystery, yes. like the, the specialized stuff that are usually seen as a men's game. As opposed to, like, dramas and yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It all comes back to Meryl Streep getting the, the main line in the movie, which is, like, is there's something kind of fantastic. Yes. All right. All right. I like this episode. I do, too. We should wrap up. All righty. Sounds good. All right. This has been Fantastic Minute. This was Minute 42. We hope you join us next time for Minute 43. We'll have a guest. We'll have a very good minute for you. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tyler Booty, at T-Y-L-E-R-B-O-U-D-Y, or the show is at Amateur Nerds. You can email us with your comments, questions, concerns, thoughts about future minutes at AmateurNerdsPresent at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Or Google Play, or other places you listen to podcasts. Totally, and I've been Tyler Boudreaux. I've been Condra. And we hope you have a spooktastic day. Woo, fantastic.